0: This is Roger Green, host of the podcast still known as Surfing the Nash Tsunami. Today, we are offering six conversations from episode 41, our review of last week's FDA workshop on NITs, with two conversations from each of our three interviews with key participants in the event. This conversation starts with me discussing a point from our 2022 podcast about the difference between using NITs to qualify patients for trials and to evaluate efficacy of drugs, because the way the disease regresses may not be the same way it progresses. Laurent Kostera notes that Nimble and Litmus have demonstrated important results with prognosis in large data sets over the last two years. You're Comments on the limits of using transaminase as a key NIT, and Laurent describes by discussing a study over time that shows faster early declines on liver stiffness and then slower declines later as therapy might shift from reducing inflammation to actually regressing fibrosis. Louise Campbell shifts focus to ask about the relationship between kilopascal drops and lifestyle change, specifically to ask whether these are false positives or real effects. Laurent knows that BMI is a confounder for liver stiffness and that CAP might help assess this issue. Finally, in response to a question from Louise, Laurent answers we do not know about some of the key changes in test scores and why they occur and need to know more before we step fully into an NIT future. This two-day FDA workshop on NITs was a seminal event in the development of NASH drugs and diagnostics. The Tsunami team was delighted to attend and thoroughly enjoyed these free conversations with leading participants. I anticipate you might as well, so just uh, sit back, listen, learn, enjoy when you're done. Join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Laurent, you make a, a really interesting point. Two years ago, in the discussions about uh, use of NITs, it just, people were making the distinction between NITs to qualify people for trials versus NITs to assess drug efficacy, specifically for the reason you give, which is that we were disqualifying people from trials who clearly had NASH because of the ballooning issue, but that it wasn't clear yet that the disease regresses the same way it progresses. How much progress do you feel we made on that issue yesterday or was made by the presentations yesterday?
1: Laurent Castera. The point is important. We have seen in our last session with the Nimble and the Litmus how much data have been generated and especially meta-analysis. So for instance, there is this large meta-analysis published in the Lancet Gastro by Litmus very recently or more than 2,000 patients showing that NITs, I mean the most used NITs that are liver stiffness, fib4, and ELF have prognostic value. I think this is important. So again, the amount of data has tremendously increased over the last two or three years and increased our confidence in how we can use nits now there are several settings again this is what I've shown in my talk if you want to enrich population from primary care with risk factors for trials I think we have the tools and actually we have four guidelines that are currently aligned for that so this is kind of standard of care and this has been achieved over the last two years starting with the easel guidelines so FIP 4 as first test then according to local availability is our vCT or elf test and then when you're in the liver clinic of course you want to distinguish who are the patients who would qualify for a trial. And again, we have composite score, for instance, a Agile 3 that can improve slightly, maybe. We need more data. The confidence in advanced fibrosis, because there's a risk of false positive with VCT, as you know, in 20 to 30% of cases using the recommended cutoff. And then you may use composite score, such as FAST, or if you're lucky to have mass or MEFIB with MRE, to uh, be able to to spot the patient of at-risk NASH. But still, it's not the, the grail, but it's helpful. And some of them are probably easier to use in practice, like FAST, because VCT is widely available. Maybe not as much as you would like in the US, but still worldwide it's widely available and this can be implemented tomorrow. But we need more data and also independent and further validation, head-to-head comparison, and we're not there. And then there's treatment response. And treatment response, I think, the shift in paradigm is very important, but we need to generate a lot of data. And still, I think we, we might need liver biopsy for that purpose.
2: I'd like to come back to something uh, Quentin and I think some other people showed is uh, the response of transaminases, which seems like the most known test uh, and most widely available from drug treatment, particularly the beginning. It's not; sharp, and then it kind of plateaues off. I was born because I do like ALT assessment, but it seems that it's an unbalanced response, particularly early when you put someone on drug, and then the long-term benefit is not as clear. So that's, of course, also of concern if you use it in a, in a composite score. And it might need a composite score that maybe doesn't have that more volatile ALT or AST in it. Uh, but I'm not sure here, so we'll, we'll have to see more of the long-term data. But something that was shown is... You know, the sharp drop of the first 4 or 12 weeks people on drug in, in those liver enzymes. So I'm not sure that's a good predictor of treat. It wasn't a predictor of treatment response. So.
1: You're absolutely right. I mean, uh, the, the NIT that you use that include transaminase, I mean, FIB4, I don't think is a good marker for that. On the other hand, I mean, transaminase is quite a robust marker of inflammation. If you normalize transaminase, it tells you something. The issue is what happened afterwards. And this, you need another test to capture. Again, I think I think we can learn from viral hepatitis, you might remember that I've shown a study that was published about five years ago from China with an HBV patient treating with nuke and around 150 or 60 having per liver biopsy over five years. And there's clearly a two-phase decline. I'm talking about liver stiffness. And there's a rapid decline that paralleled the normalization of transamines within six months. And then afterwards, he has a much slower decline. So the first rapid decline decline is likely related to inflammation, but once you have normalized transaminase, liver stiffness still decreases. At a slower pace, and this is likely related to fibrosis. So again, I mean, we don't have many studies, especially in Epsi, but at least in EPC, I think we can learn from from this kind of study, and would we'll not be surprised that we, it would be the same in in in, Masal-D or Mash.
2: That's true, and that's biological plausible. So that's something that also was said multiple times yesterday. So um, it will fit the concept of how that biomarker
0: should behave. Louise, do you have a question for Laurent?
3: Louise. Can- Campbell. No, I think he was covering it beautifully there. It was a great sum up and some great data presented. So encouraging, shall we say, even more so moving forward. Uh,
0: I suspect that if that data, the unpublished data is presented at ASLD, it will have a, a profound impact. I, I think you're right. That's that's just a, a point that nobody's brought any kind of conclusory uh, data to yet. But that, that was pretty powerful stuff, I think. I couldn't agree more.
3: Actually, I did have one question, Lauren. When you were talking about the 8 kilopascal level, where people change their kilopascals from 8 and drop. We often see in uh, clinical practice when we ask people to make a lifestyle change during that period, they make a lifestyle change, their kilopascals and their steatosis levels drop. Are they false positives or are they rapidly changing positive to negative because they've had that intervention of a fibroscan? scan, do you think?
1: I'm not sure I have the answer to your question. That's a good point. I have the same experience and the issue is BMI is a major confounder of liver stiffness. So there might be some inflammation, steatosis, that's for sure. I don't recall whether there were cap values in this study as well, documenting you know the decrease in cap value because this also we see when people go on on a diet. And uh, I think it's a good incentive in practice, actually showing the numbers because this uh, talks to to our patients. But the question is whether it's the decrease in BMI that is significant, that is followed by a decrease in liver stiffness. But this might go from, let's say, 8.5 or 9 kilopascal to 7 kilopascal. So how significant is that? But this is something that we have seen as well. Unfortunately, again, there are just a single study documenting that. And again, I would be I would be interested and curious to see other study, whether this is uh, reproducible and if other investigators, this study comes from Asia, from uh, the group of Vincent Wong, as I mentioned. But is it true in Europe? Is it true in Australia? Is it true in the US? We don't really know. So again, would be interesting to see more data on that issue. But again, this is critical because if we're going to use this as a surrogate, you want to be sure that test-retests works, repeatability. This is something that needs to be addressed, I think.
3: And I think you said in the meeting that you have to remember the method of action of the drug and steatosis. Some of these drugs target steatosis rather than fibrosis. Was that one of the outputs that you came up with in the (laughs) roundtable?
1: Just to make a long story short, in a a nutshell, I mean, let's say you have drugs that mechanism of action, let's say target inflammation, metabolic drugs, steatosis and other more fibrosis. The issue is for instance, with drugs like GLP-1 receptor agonists, you have weight loss and and decrease in BMI. So if we use liver stiffness as a surrogate, does it mean that this is related to fibrosis improvement or just related to the loss of weight? This we don't really know, actually. It's not completely clear. Also, if you have a very powerful drug, does it make a difference in terms of liver stiffness of NIT? This we don't know. Just a parallel with viral load. If you have a one-log decline, not sure you're seeing many things. If you have a three-log decline, that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And this, we don't know.
0: Point well made. So
1: many questions, few answers.
0: Yeah. And then, of course, the question becomes, as we're dealing with regulators who need to be inherently conservative, I don't know if you caught the entire two days, but a whole session the first morning was dedicated to FDA cases. And part of it was, how do we make a decision? But all the decisions they talked about were things that had been controversial in the past. Um, Alzheimer's, McKenna, which they just withdrew recently and then rosaglitazone. High high profile cases and, and, you know, the agency is conservative and cautious. So when we meet their data threshold, it may be very different than when we meet our own.
2: And now back to Roger.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with coverage of Easel's SLD Summit. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you soon on the podcast. Bye-bye now.